the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Tuesday show. I made it to four o'clock again today. Hi, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about anything going on in your life, questions about church, whatever's on your heart. All you need to do is provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app, And remember, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else will be hands-free. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, I don't have anything to talk about since it's Tuesday, so we'll get right to questions while we await any phone calls. Uh, Our first question is from our email inbox from Kirby. And she says, do you think Psalm 124 has a direct correlation to Revelation 12, verses 13 through 16? Uh, Kirby, I'm not going to read both of the Psalms because it would take a long time, um, but uh, or both passages of Scripture. But the language is similar, but there's no connection. Uh, Psalm 124, um, I think most scholars believe, was written by David. Uh, there are a few who say, no, this had to be written after the Babylonian uh, captivity and the and the, the the return of the exiles, uh, but I think the evidence is pretty overwhelming. This is a psalm of ascents, and it is a psalm where David is just leading the people of Israel uh, in thanksgiving. This is a worship celebration. He's leading them in thanksgiving to God for the protection that He has provided, and then um, they're they're just saying because He has provided this protection, He will always provide that protection. I just love the way that Psalm 124 starts. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel now declare. I think for every one of us, just think back for a couple of moments. What would your life be like today if the Lord was not on your side? I know what mine would be like. I would probably be dead. But but I, I just think of all the things I would have missed out on. And I feel like David. You know, David uh, got chased away. David had... Uh, enemies chasing him uh, from King Saul early to his own son later in his life. Um, but but God demonstrated, uh, because David was a, a man with a heart after God's heart, God demonstrated that I'm on your side, David. And the truth is, if God isn't on our side, we're all so, so very lost. And um, again, while the, the, the verbiage is similar to uh, Psalm, uh, to Revelation chapter 12, 
um, th- there's there's no real connection between the two. In Revelation chapter 12, uh, the dragon, uh, the devil, saw that he'd been thrown to the earth. He pursued the woman, Israel, who'd given birth to the child. And then uh, it talks about he's, um, the woman, Israel, was given two wings of a great eagle to fly off, um, to protect her. Uh, we know that he would he in the, the great tribulation is going to take Israel the the remnant to uh, the rock city of Petra in modern day Jordan, uh, but they're two completely different things, and I think they're both specific revelation specific to the great tribulation and uh, Psalm one twenty four specific to just David sort of reviewing how faithful God has been in his life. Sometimes now I don't do this a lot. But sometimes it's really good just to sit down and think about the close calls you've had. Think about the mistakes you've made. Think about how faithful God has been. Paul writes to Timothy and says, even when I'm faithless, you have been faithful. And uh, I think sometimes it's really good for us to just sit down and remember those things. And hopefully that's a faith builder so that we will remember the next trial we're in that God is faithful and trustworthy. Thank you, Kirby, for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question from, oh, it's an anonymous question, also from our email inbox. Hello, Pastor. Uh, Are there different types of spirits? I hear this a lot when someone tells me it's a spirit of lust or it's a spirit of anger. My question is, is it biblical and what are your thoughts on this? Uh, anonymous, there, there are no spirits of lust or the spirits of anger. Uh, that's usually sort of charismatic nonsense. And I, I, I repeat this every time I use a term like that. We are a charismatic church. So we believe in the gifts of the Spirit are, are working for today. But, but um, th- this nonsense I'm talking about is blaming sin on a spirit of lust or a spirit of anger. Um, it's simply not biblical. Um, it, it's just a way to escape personal responsibility uh, for the things going on in, in your life. Uh, if you want to sin, be honest enough to say, I just want to sin. But no, the enemy will tempt us with lust. He will tempt us to get angry. He will tempt us to do all kinds of things. But there is no spirit that can be cast out um, um, it, it's just such really, really poor teaching. And unfortunately, uh, too many people fall prey to it because it sounds spiritual and we just don't really know enough. Thank you for the question, Anonymous. I pray that maybe you go find a church that is well-balanced where the Bible is being taught. Whew, excuse me, that was a big cough break. Uh, here is a question from Seth. Pastor John MacArthur has come under attack for plagiarizing and for living a wealthy lifestyle. Your thoughts on pastors living rich lifestyles, please. I'm going to answer this two ways, Seth. Um, first, uh, I, I'm aware of the attack on John MacArthur. I'm not a huge MacArthur fan. I think he has been a faithful servant of God. I strongly disagree with his Reformed theology. But beyond that, John MacArthur has been faithful and without hint of scandal for now 50 years of teaching. Where I'm familiar with the group or the uh, journalist, so-called journalist out of Illinois that has been attacking him uh, ever since his stand on uh, keeping churches meeting uh, during the COVID pandemic. Uh, this particular journalist... Uh, has sort of been out to get him, and and they're 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 just coming with nonsensical stuff. John MacArthur does not live a wealthy lifestyle. I'm sure after 50 years, uh, I'm sure that after 50 years he's comfortable. Um, John MacArthur lives in the same house that he's lived in for a very long time, and if you're familiar with property values. In Los Angeles, uh, the area he's in, that house is probably worth um, in excess of $3 million. Um, He didn't pay $3 million for it. He hasn't moved around from place to place. Um, uh, He's not at all. I apologize. I'm having some 
throat issues today. Um, he, he's not um, uh, living an exceptionally wealthy lifestyle at all. Uh, for for blogs and, and nonsense like that, um, they, they just really need to get a life. They're not journalists. They're not uncovering. They're, they're simply trying to ruin people's reputations. Now, it's true that there are people whose reputations deserve to be ruined. John MacArthur is not one of them. So, um, the charge of plagiarizing uh, was nothing more than uh, having a ghostwriter um, and all these pastors, doesn't matter who you see, whether it's John MacArthur, David Jeremiah, uh, Tony Evans, or anybody else, uh, nobody who is as busy as they are has time to sit down and write books. So what these ghostwriters do is they take their messages and make books out of them. That's not plagiarizing. Uh, in this particular case, one of the ghostwriters um, evidently has a beef with uh, uh, Grace Church, uh, and is no longer there, and he has uh, been attacking uh, John MacArthur, MacArthur for not giving him the credit as a co-writer or co-author. So, um, just I would dismiss the the uh, the rumors and and the blogs altogether. I, I I keep telling our church I wish we'd read the Bible instead of spending so much time online. Now, you asked for my thoughts on pastors living rich lifestyles. If you've been listening to this program for any length of time, I get asked this quite often, and I don't think pastors ought to live at above the means of the people in their church. I simply don't think you can be a servant to the people if you're living uh, an exorbitant lifestyle. And certainly, unfortunately, a lot of pastors are living um, uh, those lifestyles. Relative to John MacArthur, since that's where your question started. Uh, John MacArthur makes an awful lot of money. Um, he has got his hands in the Master's Seminary. Uh, he's got uh, grace to you. Um, I'm guessing John MacArthur makes in excess of a half million dollars a year. Um, I don't think that's appropriate. Having said that, uh, it wouldn't be fair for me not to say that I have friends, other Calvary Chapel pastors um, of big churches who are also making in excess of a half million dollars a year. And and they know I don't agree with that. The problem is nobody asks me what people should make. Uh, I think God has a different plan for different people. Uh, if you live in California, especially if you live uh, in some of those very, very expensive communities, you're going to make a lot of money. Uh, but the money doesn't go as far there as it does here in San Antonio, Texas. So I believe that pastors ought to demonstrate a heart to serve, and service is sacrificial. And I think that uh, uh, pastors living above the median income level of the people in their church uh, are probably taking advantage. Now, one other thing, having said that, and again, I want to relate this to John MacArthur. John MacArthur has been doing his job faithfully for 50 years. I don't think God intends for John MacArthur to grow old and be poor. I don't think that, I, again, I, I don't know what's the right amount of money that's between him and the Lord, but but I just don't think that, that a pastor has to you know, retire or when they have to step down because of health, I don't think they should be living um, in poverty. And a lot of pastors um, opted out of Social Security a long time ago. A lot of my friends at Calvary Chapel did. And the truth is that they don't have um, a plan. Um, they, they never made enough money to put money away. Uh, some of them are just bad financial planners. Um, so, so I, again, I think, I think a pastor, and, I, and I'm, I'm speaking now as a pastor who's getting old, um, I think... God intends to care for us uh, in our older years so that we don't have to worry about where our next meal is going to come from. Um, I, I, I just think these attacks on those pastors are um, unworthy of Christians. So, Seth, I hope that makes sense to you. <clears throat> Here's a question from Mandy. 
she says, on Christian websites and group chats, Zoom church, and what do you think about a woman leading a study or answering questions? Oh, I get it. Uh, Mandy, I think all church functions ought to be led by men if teaching or pastoral ministry is in view. Um, if a woman is leading a study for other women, answering questions to other women, I have no problem with that at all. We have a bunch of women here who lead Bible studies and teach. But but when it when it comes to the primary teaching of the Word of God to the entire church, God has reserved that for men. So whether it's an in-person church or somebody live streaming or doing Zoom church, um, uh, I just think that that role has been given by God to men. And since this church belongs to Jesus Christ, he's the head of the church, then what we have to do is follow his guidelines. If he's really our Lord, we have to do what he says. And uh, I think um, uh, putting a woman in a position of teaching and having authority over men by calling her a pastor is outside the boundaries that God has established for those particular roles in the church. So, Mandy, I'm not much on Christian websites and uh, group chats or Zoom church. We've been meeting in person. We've been meeting in person for quite some time, and um, uh, Zoom church drives me nuts. So we we just didn't do it. We did live streaming uh, during the pandemic, but we couldn't wait to get back. So um, pastors ought to be men. Um, God made the rule, not pastor on. So uh, if you have a problem with that, uh, Mandy or anybody else, then then your problem is with God. It's with what the Word says. And uh, to do some, some hermeneutic twists and turns to try to make it uh, uh, appear that God will allow women to be pastors is simply not the... Uh, is not a, an honest effort. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions or toll free eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Jeremy says, in our political climate, what is the biggest danger to the church? And then he says, also to your church. Um, Jeremy, the, the the biggest danger to the church is has not changed. The biggest danger to the church is our biblical illiteracy. Uh, people just don't know uh, what the Bible says. They don't know how to rightly divide the Word of God. And in the world that we live in, political or otherwise, um, um, if you don't know your Bible, if you're not in your Bible, if you're not constantly being fed, you're going to give in to the pressure from this world to conform. And um, um, the, the danger, I think, has been the same. I've been saved for now 32 years um, this month. And um, um, 31 years, I'm sorry, this month. And um, I've just never seen Christians in the United States of America really hungry to dig into the Word. And that, that's like going to a, a gunfight um, without a gun. And um, so I think that's the biggest danger to the church. Now, I think there are some things that spring from that, Jeremy, and I think one of them is spiritual laziness. I think we just sort of get into this groove that says, uh, you know, I'm, I go to church, things are going okay, and 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 we're, we become spiritually slow. Um, uh, so there's all kinds of things that happen uh, for Christians who are not really, really focused on the Word. I also think, and I think this is also an offshoot of the lack of Bible teaching, uh, the lack of Bible learning, uh, I think that um, we we don't serve. Um, church in the United States has become sort of a spectator activity rather than a participation activity. And I think that's really, really a bad thing. Now, I, I'm, I'm interested, more interested, Jeremy, in, in answering your question about our church particularly, Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Um, I think... The biggest danger to any church, and thus to my church, Calvary Chapel, um, is that we take for granted the goodness of God. 
I think there are a lot of Christians that, that have stopped pursuing holiness. I think we've lost a healthy fear of God. And I think because of that, um, we we just sort of take for granted what God has done. Uh, at our church, Jeremy, and, and you don't say whether you come here or not, but at our church, we've seen God's hand move so often, um, uh, just just God doing amazing things. Uh, and it's easy to just get used to that instead of continuing to push in and press in to be with the Lord. That's why I am always pushing the church here to just be with Jesus. If we're following Jesus, we're always going to be okay. But I think it's just way too easy in this day and age to get a lot of distance between us and Jesus and not even know it. That's why the writer of Hebrews uh, issues a severe warning about drifting away. Drifting um, happens subtly, almost imperceptibly at first. And then what happens is um, you find yourself so far from where you started or where you were supposed to be going that you can't find your way back. And I think that's true for a lot of Christians. And I want to be sure that that doesn't happen here to our church. Um, it's just really easy to sit back and spectate when God wants to use you. And I think we all need to have those stories every day. What's God doing in our life? I, I don't like cliches and you know sometimes super spiritual types will say, so what's God speaking to you today about? I don't think it's that, but, but what we got to do is we've got to get up every day and offer our bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord. And if we're going to do that, then we're going to pursue personal holiness. Um, but but uh, it would just be devastating to me if at after we've been now 26 and a half years here at Calvary Chapel, I think if we ended up a church that was sort of on cruise control, uh, a church that was coasting, um, now we know how to do church. Now, um, you know, we've got a system and it works really well and we're doing the right things, but, but but we still need to be empowered by the Spirit of God. This is something that we, we can't presume upon God, that we got this figured out. Um, we've got to depend on God every day for everything. And it would be devastating to me personally if I drifted away and took a bunch of these people that I really love, people that God is crazy about, and, and they followed my example of just sort of lukewarmness. And so I push hard not to ever get in that position personally. And believe me, if you've ever been to our church, Jeremy, the people here will tell you that uh, uh, my messages are no less intense now than they've ever been. So um, it's just a long confused answer, Jeremy, to, to your question. I hope that makes sense. Well, we're coming pretty close to the end of the first half hour. Um, Juan says, I'm going to take this one top of the next hour, because or half hour, because this is a harder question. Nicholas says, 1 Corinthians 7.15 says that if the unbeliever leaves, let them leave. Does that mean it's okay to divorce? Um, Nicholas, no. Uh, in a marriage, an unequally yoked marriage, um, Paul is talking very specifically. Remember, people are getting saved. Um, a, a wife or a husband will get saved, but the, but the spouse did not. Um, and, 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 and Paul simply says, look, if they're willing to stay, and willing has a, more, a, a greater connotation than just, okay, I'll stay. Um, you know, they, they can't get in the way of you serving God, those kind of things. But, um, but then he says, but, but look, if the unbeliever leaves, then let him go. And then, of course, abandonment is grounds for divorce. So if the unbeliever leaves, God's saying, look, you're better off uh, serving me wholeheartedly than having to worry about pacifying an unbeliever. So God still hates divorce. And, and uh, the idea there is in, a, in a, a marriage where there's one Christian and one unbeliever, the, the idea that's being communicated here is that you become an evangelist for the unbelieving spouse. And the best places for that unbeliever to be in the house being told about Jesus by the spouse, but also watching Jesus being lived out. So in my particular case where Paula prayed for me for 13 years, Nicholas, uh, if, if uh, you know, Paula was praying all along, Lord, get rid of him and bring me the Christian man that you have for me. If I would have said, okay, I'm out of here. I don't love you, Jesus. I don't want anything to do with him. Um, Paula would have been better off without me. 
Um, but but that didn't happen. I was willing to stay, and and uh, she was willing to continue to pray. And God eventually, I'm hard-headed, so it took some time, but God eventually um, did a marvelous work. And uh, we're getting ready to celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary this year. We've been together for 52 years next month. And um, uh, our, our wedding anniversary will be 50 this year. So God did pretty well. So uh, it is okay to divorce if an unbeliever leaves. But that's never divorce. God always has hated it. He always will hate it. Um, God's desire is for people that say we'll stay forever together for them to keep their word. So, Nicholas, I hope that makes sense to you. But there is uh, a lot of cases where the unbeliever leaves, and that's okay, and it's a relief. We've had a lot of women in particular who, when their jerk husbands uh, finally left them, those women just thrived in their walk with the Lord. I mean, just thrived in their, in their relationship, and God began using them in marvelous ways. So that's what it means. Thanks, Nicholas. Well, you can hear the music. We're at the end of our first half hour of the program, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'd love your calls. You're listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. I'm Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and I'm really trying to get my voice to straighten out a little bit, so I apologize for all of the interruptions in the first half of the program. It's just these dumb allergies. Mountain Cedar only has about a two-week shelf life left, and I think then we'll be okay. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is the question from Juan that I really wanted to spend a little bit of time with. So here's Juan's question. Pastor Ron, I know a lot of people don't think God speaks to us outside of the Bible. But what about things like when people say, God is leading me, or similar things? One, I think this is a really important question. Almost, and and I won't give you a dumb percentage, but almost all of the things that God speaks to us, he'll speak to us while we're in the Word. But clearly, Jesus said that we're to follow him. And there are things, directions, uh, plans that God has for us that, that, that the Bible won't deal with specifically. And... Um, um, the people that say God will only speak to us in the Word, uh, they're cessationists. By that I mean they believe that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased completely and that, that we have the perfect canon of Scripture. And you guys know I love the Bible, but but God God would never speak to us in any other way. And that's simply not true. You can go back into the, the um, uh, book of Acts, and and you can see and again, realize they didn't have the word of God the way we com- compile the way we do, but um, God appeared to people. He spoke to people in dreams. God led them. Uh, Paul wanted to go into Asia uh, three times and was forbidden uh, until finally, no, no, not Asia. Why don't you go to Macedonia? And uh, when he had that vision of the man from Macedonia, and there are all kinds of examples. Philip uh, being led to go down to Gaza, uh, to follow the Ethiopian Union. God has plans for individuals, and in the same way as plans for individual churches. And I think when somebody has put God in that tight of a box, um, what they're really doing is they're saying, well, I'm, I'm unwilling to walk by faith. Now, I want to make this very personal to our church, because we're going through some things now um, where, where we're taking some risks. Um, I announced a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago now maybe, um, that we were, we're, we're starting on opening a free restaurant, 
Uh, we have a free school. We have a free medical clinic here at Calvary Chapel. We have a, a, a home. Somebody gave us a house. And um, that, that house is uh, for women uh, who need a second start in life, uh, women of all ages. So uh, all of those those things, I can't go to the Bible. There's no book that says, uh, Pastor Ron, as pastor of Calvary Chapel, I want you to do those things. But God gives visions to people. Now, when I'm saying visions, I'm not talking about Daniel-type visions or those things, but, but just direction visions. And God, I believe, has a plan for every church that's different from all the other churches. I don't think other people ought to say, well, you know, Pastor Ron has a free school. We ought to do a free school. But but I think if we would say, God, what do you want to do? What's your vision for Calvary Chapel of San Antonio? It's our responsibilities under shepherds to give God the opportunity to move the pieces the direction he wants us to go. And so that requires following Jesus. That requires faith. That requires stepping out of our comfort zone. Uh, it requires us not making, um, you know, putting God in a position where you, okay, if you want me to do that, you just give me a million dollars and I'll do it. Um, God wants us to take those steps of faith. And I can tell you, God is leading me. I'm going to tell you one um, for me personally. Um, this restaurant thing is absolutely crazy. Restaurants that charge people are going out of business. And God is leading me. This is a 20-year vision, by the way. It's just time. We know it's time. Uh, God's leading me to do this crazy thing. And I don't blame people for thinking I'm out of my mind. I really don't. I've had a lot of those conversations with the Lord. I haven't been sleeping a lot because the enemy is always there saying, what do you think? This is the craziest thing you've ever done. God's not in this. But you know, God's track record is pretty good. So we follow him. In fact, today we had a good meeting with the city uh, and with our our landlords. It looks like we've got a, a spot nailed down. And uh, now it's just a matter of... Um, getting an architect and getting things started and building uh, the, the restaurant. And, and, and so, um, you know, God's opening the doors and we're going to keep walking through those doors. And there's no way, no way, Juan, that we would do any of those things if, in fact, um, we waited for every single thing uh, to, to speak to our hearts from the Word of God. It just... God is a personal God. Relationship is personal. And that's why Jesus says we ought to be talking to him all the time. Pray without ceasing, Paul says. That means pray continually. So I hope that makes sense to you, Juan. And uh, I think that's really important. Let's go to line one and talk with Mari on line one in San, from San Antonio. Mari, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. Hi. Hi. So... I have a problem, and I need your advice. Okay. Okay. My problem is my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law goes to church with us all the time. She meets us there. And, you know, we have discussions sometimes after church. And this past Sunday, she admitted in the car with my daughters and my husband in the car that she thinks the Bible is not, not all of it is true. Oh, the basic mm-hmm. concepts might be okay, but, you know, I, it's it's not all verbatim true. And, you know, so we got into this discussion, and, and she's saying this, these things in front of my daughter and, and my husband. And <clears throat> my husband is kind of learning the, the Christian thing. I, I, you know, he's not... He's a, he's a new Christian, I guess you can say. Mm-hmm. He's on the worship team at our church, and, you know, he's, he's taking really great strides in his relationship with Jesus, and for her to say these things just really, I think, it brings us down and puts things in the heads of my kids, you know, and yet she goes and meets us there at church, and, you know, on the side, she'll be telling my, my daughter things. She has said very hurtful things to them in the past, She's always talking about, you know, boyfriends and and guys and, you know, you should have a boyfriend by now. Things like this. Anyways, mm-hmm. I'm struggling with honoring, you know, that whole honor your 
mother and your father saying, I get so angry when I see her. I don't even <laughs> want her to go with us. <laughs> I don't know. What, what advice do you have for me? Mar, Mari, I'm, I, I, this is more common than you can imagine. Two things. One, you need to realize that your mother-in-law is an unbeliever. Um, she may not think she is, but she is an unbeliever, and she needs Jesus. So what you want to do is communicate to her that that anytime she has questions, if she would say to you, for example, I'm going to cover with your with your daughters and your husband in a moment. But but if she would say to you, for instance, well, I don't believe the Bible is verbatim, and and you you could talk to her and you could say, well, on what basis do you think that? Let's talk about it. Let's look at this honestly. Let's together do some research. I'll go through it with you so that we can make a decision whether or not the Bible is the Word of God or, or whether we're to take it literally. And they never will follow through on that. All they're doing is um, they're just dismissing the parts of the Bible um, that, that they don't agree with or that they don't want to follow, and it gives them sort of a, a, a greater sense of comfort uh, in their disobedience. So I think, remember, she's an unbeliever. Treat her like an unbeliever. And by that, I mean we keep telling her about Jesus. And I challenge people, Mari, when, when they say things like that, I challenge them directly. I want to say, why did you say that? Um, when somebody has a crazy interpretation of the Bible, okay, so, so how long have you been studying the Bible? You know, where did you get that information? And and I, I want and, and most of the time they back off and then I just well look, before you say things like that, if you're gonna be intellectually honest, what you need to do is is um check these things out before you speak. Now relative to the things that she says before your daughters and your and your husband, um, this is a very private, a very calm but private conversation. And and just simply tell her, I forbid you to speak to my kids um, the way you're speaking to them. I don't want them thinking about boyfriends at the age they are. I don't want their mind on worldly things. I want their mind on the things of Jesus. I don't want you with a with a husband, your your son who who uh, is a new believer. Uh, I don't want the devil to be able to use you by putting doubt in his mind when he's just now beginning to follow the Lord. And so we're just not going to have those conversations. And what you need to do is honor my wishes, period. And there's no conversation about it after that. And if, in fact, she gets to the place where she refuses to honor, that's the place where you'll say, um, you know what, we won't drive together anymore. Um, uh, we, we will stop inviting you to our home. Um, we certainly won't come to your home if this is the way you're going to do it. All I'm asking you to do is honor the wishes with my children and with my husband. And she pulls, well, he's my son. Hard on you. Say, well, yeah, but when you get married, you leave your parents and cleave to one another. And so we're we're simply not going to have any anti-Jesus division in this home. And uh, you got to stand firm on that. You don't get angry. You don't raise your voice. Um, but just say, look, to protect our relationship down the road, and, and you can say, Mom, I'm going to keep praying for you. But but to protect our relationship down the road, we're simply not going to be exposed in this family to those kinds of ideas. And especially with your daughters. You didn't say, Mari, how old they were. But um, let me tell you something. They, they, they do not awaken desire before it's time. Uh, Song of Solomon says that uh, uh, two times. And, and uh, you're, you're taking the right approach. Just don't let her frustrate you and don't let her get angry. Make sure she knows that you love her, but be very, very firm in this. And can I also say one other thing, Mari? I am so proud of your husband, a new believer, and he is singing on the worship team. God bless him for that. You know, that that's a lot. And um, God will really and truly honor that. And uh, in your time together with your husband in the Word, um, just remind him, you've been a believer longer than he is, remind him that he's got to be able to sing those lyrics with the right heart before God. And um, uh, I'm just thrilled when people step out and start serving, especially in public ministry like that. Mari, thank you very, very much. You know, and to sort of dovetail on that, uh, we had a visitor in church this past Sunday 
and I don't know if I said the right thing or not, but um, it was a, a man and his wife, some other people in the church had invited him, and they were sitting really close to me. And this man, um, I think his name was Brent, he had a, an absolutely beautiful singing voice. I mean, a beautiful singing voice. He, there was one part where he was singing with the with the worship band, and, and it, it stunned me. I have a really good ear for music. I can't sing, but I have a really good ear for music. And he had a beautiful singing voice. So we have a break between our worship songs, just a meet and greet kind of thing. And so I walked over to him and I said, I don't know. I'm, I think it was probably you, but I heard an absolutely beautiful male voice singing. Was that you? And he got all shy and looked down and he said, yeah. And, and I said, wow, what a great gift that is for you. And then he, he was shy and you could tell. So maybe I was a little pushy, but I just, I just told him, thank you for that. And, and, um, we always need to encourage, especially new believers, to use their gifts. Thank you for that call, Mari. Here is a question from Veronica. She said, how could God really forsake Jesus when he was on the cross? Um, Veronica, he had to. Uh, this wasn't a choice. I mean, you know, God is perfect and God is holy and God had a mission and God doesn't stray from that mission and God's mission was to save people like you and me. So he really did forsake Jesus. Why? Because God is too holy to look upon sin. And Jesus was, in fact, becoming sin, taking the sin of the world. God's wrath was being poured out on Jesus on that cross. And God couldn't rescue him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus called out. Um, but, but he had to. And he had to do it because he loved you. And because he loved me. So it wasn't a matter of where God had a choice for God to accomplish his purpose, his divine will. Jesus had to be forsaken. In effect, Veronica, this is the the magnificence of this. God the Father had to make a choice. And the choice was between his son and you. And he chose you. Think about that for a moment. He chose you. The Bible says Jesus endured the agony of the cross for the joy set before him. You, Veronica, and and I, we we were that joy. We, We were the joy set before him. And both Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, in perfect unity, agreed that this was the best thing, the only thing that a righteous God could do if he wanted fellowship with mankind, and he did. So Jesus was willingly forsaken on that cross. In his humanity, he asked the same question you and I would ask. One other thing, Veronica, about this particular thing, this is Jesus who was quoting Psalm 22. Uh, a psalm that Jews universally recognized as messianic. And Jesus was quoting it. So not only was he really literally being forsaken, but even in that condition, he was still reaching out to the Jews in front of him because they would have recognized that that was, that was David's psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and Jesus was basically saying, I'm the voice in that psalm. And now that voice is speaking to you. And it was just one more attempt Jesus made to get them to recognize that he really was the Christ that they've been waiting for. Very good question, Veronica. Thank you very, very much. Gary says, how can one reconcile conscience issues like taking a vaccine to keep a job when my conscience says not to? Um, Gary, this is so hard, and, and obviously we've had a lot of questions about this, and we've also had a lot of people in our church uh, in this situation. Um, let me say first, there's no wrong answer to this, and there's no one-size-fits-all answer. Um, you've got to juggle, prayerfully juggle, the responsibility to provide for your family, and then taking a vaccine that your conscience saying not to. And in some cases, um, you're going to have to make a sacrifice. Um, if you choose not to take the vaccine and you do lose your job, 
um, then you've got to got to be sure that God's going to provide for you some way. Um, but but there's no there's there's not a pat answer. Um, when the people come to me in the church and they ask this question, I just tell them, look, um, you have to be convinced in your own mind. Romans fourteen twenty three says, anything not of faith is sin. And so you got to do that. Now, in, in your case, Gary, I would say this. Um, assuming you have a family, your question doesn't say that. Um, you, you and your wife have to be on one accord in this. This is one of those kinds of decisions that I think a man cannot make on his own or a woman cannot make on her own. I think this is a decision that a husband and a wife have to sit down and really seek the Lord on so that when the decision is made, you're walking in agreement after that decision. And I think getting to that place is the key to keeping unity in the household. Um, you know, sometimes things are getting really hard. A lot of people, if they're going to lose their job, um, they're, 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 things are going to get hard. They're going to be tested. Their faith is going to be challenged. Uh, and it's in times like that when you really need to know that Jesus is with you, that you're doing what he's led you to do. Now, Gary, the, the example I'm going to use from mine and Paula's life is not like yours because uh, for, for us, I mean, there were there were other considerations. But But, for example, coming to San Antonio all those years ago, uh, we'd never been to Texas. We didn't know anybody in Texas. And honestly, neither of us wanted to come to Texas. Uh, we had reasons to stay in California. We had children there. And and um, um, at that time, both were unsaved. And um, we had a church family there that loved us and wanted to keep us. Um, but here's what we, we did. I, I told Paula, this is where I believe God is leading us. And you have to pray because we're not going until we're in accord on this, until till we're in complete unity. And, um, you know, I knew Paula loved the Lord. I knew Paula would pray about it. I also knew she didn't want to go to Texas. She made that very, very clear. Uh, but being in agreement was vital because it was so hard when we got here. I mean, it was so difficult that if we weren't in agreement, we wouldn't have lasted six months. I mean, as things got hard, Paula could have said, I, I knew you shouldn't have brought me out here. But you see, we didn't give the enemy that opportunity. That's why agreement on situations like the one that you described are so important. When things get hard, you've got to be able to say, together, with one heart, you've got to be able to say, Jesus, we're with you. We know it's hard. We know this is a test, but we are trusting you. It can't be her saying, I know you should have got that vaccine. Um, so, so this just is, again, uh, if you get the vaccine, God bless you. If you don't get the vaccine, God bless you. These are situations that nobody should be put into. To have the government mandating medical care is unconscionable, absolutely unconscionable. Okay, we got time maybe for one more question. Uh, it's anonymous. To start a youth ministry or a Bible study, how would you advise us to start? Um, it's very specific, a youth ministry or Bible study. Uh, I, you start by teaching the Bible. Um, again, I'll go back to our example here. We, we just let people know we were coming here to start a church and we're going to start a Bible study. And anybody that wants to come, here's where we're going to meet. Here's when it's going to happen. And the doors are going to be open. And and it's hard because at first, it, a lot of people don't come. But but those are the times of testings. You know, the, the Bible talks about despising the day of small things. Um, the, those are the days, anonymous, when God is doing the, the, the neatest stuff. So you've got to be faithful. Whatever you do to start um, uh, this ministry, um, you got to be faithful at it. You got to be consistent. You, you can't decide, well, nobody's coming, so I'm going to quit. You, you you've got to be committed because God is going to test you. It's required that every man given a trust by God must prove faithful. That's First Corinthians chapter four, verse two. Um, you you've you've just got to be faithful. Uh, the other thing I would say is 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 establish from the beginning 
the pattern that the Lord is leading you. And, and by that I mean Bible study. My advice would be to, to just open the Bible and start teaching it. You need to study. You need to know what it says. You need to be able to apply it. But just teach the Word. That's all you need to do, and then God will do the rest. His Word is living and active. The Holy Spirit will empower you and empower the people as the Word starts changing their hearts. But please start with youth in particular. Do not buy the concept that they won't pay attention, that you got to entertain them, uh, they have short attention spans, um, it's got to be fun or it's got to be cool. Anonymous, this is the best advice I can give you. Be the most uncool youth leader in the city of San Antonio. Be uncool, purposely uncool. I am the least cool person in the whole world. All I do is open the Bible and I teach it and I've been doing the same thing for 26 and a half years. You know what? Turns out that's pretty cool in the end. Not that I'm cool, but the fruit that we get from that is pretty cool. So just teach the Bible. Don't try to talk down to them. Don't uh, try to talk like they talk. Um, Just teach it. And then sit back and God will put you in a position like, like the best seat in the house to watch what he's doing that you're being used to be a part of. So that's the way to start. Too many youth ministries uh, in churches uh, are, are, are just trying to be the cool place so the kids want to come. But they're really not being introduced to the real Jesus. They're really not being introduced to the Word. So Anonymous, good luck. God bless you. And, and uh, you be faithful. I promise you Jesus will. Thanks for tuning in today. Again, my apologies for the voice issues today. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you've been listening to the Word to Stand On for Life. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.